That was kind of a tongue-tying Scripture to read. But what Paul is saying is that there's a battle that goes on, and it goes on in all of us between the flesh and the Spirit. When I was a kid growing up, and I sound like an old guy now, but I think it's true of most of us that are at least my age and older, we realized that everyone pretty much in the neighborhood and into school had the same values that my mom and dad would have. And that if you did something on the other side of the block where mom and dad were not able to see you, and someone in the neighborhood saw you doing that, They said, I'll be talking to your mom or I'll be talking to your dad. And you knew that you were in trouble. You knew you were in trouble without even going home and finding out from your mom and dad if you were in trouble. You know, they gave true meaning to you're guilty until proven innocent. Because that kind of happened, you know, many times that if you did something, you didn't get to explain it. And that was because the people at school, the people in the neighborhood pretty much had all the same values. We live in a society today that those, those same values that we once treasured and were uniform throughout the society is no longer there. We can't teach values. We can't teach morals in our schools because everyone's morals and values are different. We have to appease everyone. And so you have classes like uh, values clarification. And what that does is it tries to show you or teach you the values that are important for it, that are in your life. But what we need to understand is that our values come from something that is higher. Our standard that we go by is something higher than any individual. And when you start to say, well, your values are just as important as this person's values, what do you do with the individual who thinks that I disagree with you, so you should be dead? Well, that's their value. And there are people in our world today that really believe that that's the way it should be. So what do we do? We can look at values versus virtue. You see, the real problem is the word values has been hijacked. Values is knowing what is right. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Again, in our society, there are people that will say there are no absolute truths, but yet here in this passage of Scripture, we find that the Bible is absolute truth. God's Word is the truth. And so His standard is something that we need to adhere to. In Jeremiah chapter 10, and verse 23, it says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And so we understand that it's important that we have a value system that is consistent with a higher power. Why? Because it's something that we all should be striving for. I think in our world today, in our society, we see where people are holding their own individual values for themselves and we see the decay of our society. You can look at the children of Israel as an example. 
In Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, it says there, And in those days there was no king in Israel. In other words, they had no leader. They had no one to give a standard. And it goes on, it says, And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you really want to live in a world where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes? Because like, what about that individual that believes that you disagree with me so you should be dead? That's right in their eyes. I don't want to live in a society like that. I want us to have a value system where we have a higher standard that is higher than any human being that is here on this earth. But we also need to know that if there is another standard that we need to go by, if someone has something that's better, then let's debate it. Let's talk about it. But I don't believe that you're going to find a standard that is better, a value system that is better than what God's Word gives to us. But we also need to realize that values alone are not enough. It's not enough to know what is right. We have to go ahead and do what is right. And James chapter 4 and verse 17, Therefore unto him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. So think about, you may know what's right, and there's a lot of people out there in the world that knows right and wrong. But are they doing it? Are they practicing it? Are you practicing it in your life? You know, you can pick any sin. Let's say adultery, for example. You know that if you went out and you asked people, is adultery wrong? Most people that I know, and most people that you know, and most people that are even out in the world are going to say, yes, it's wrong. But they go ahead and do it anyways. They commit it anyways. They know what's right, but they're not putting it into practice. And that's where we need to understand that values and virtue go together. It's not enough just to know what the Bible says. It's not enough just to know the standard. We have to put it into action in our lives. That's what the Bible is trying to show us. And so... The value of knowing what is right is very important. We know what the Bible teaches. We know that that's a standard that we can rely upon. But virtue is doing what is right. Virtue is a civilized behavior following the higher standard that is there. And it is people acting according to a standard that is greater greater than just mere instinct. You know, we're not gonna we're not animals. We don't just go about life going and doing whatever comes into our mind. We just go ahead and do it because we know. You know, you're standing in line. You look over there. You see that candy bar. Instinct may say, "Grab it." You're hungry. Take it. But we have a higher standard where we know that stealing is wrong. And so we say, no, I'm not going to do that. So that thought may come into your mind. And that's a very simple example. But that simple thought comes into our mind and we overcome it by the standard that we're living by. And maybe someone's with you that says, hey, yeah, I'm going to take one. Why don't you take one? Again, that standard is what we live by and we say, no. And that individual may get upset with us, may not like it, but the fact of the matter is, not enough just to know what's right. We have to go ahead and do what's right. 
And so Paul's dilemma there in Romans chapter 7 is between value and virtue. Knowing what is right and then doing what is right. There's a constant battle going on in our lives. And Paul looks at his life and sees the differences between what he knows he should be doing, that's the things that he values, and what he actually does. And everyone who has struggled against sin recognizes that dilemma that you and I may be in. You see, that conflict comes from learning God's law. But acting according to the flesh, that is following instinct. And so we overcome that instinct by doing what is right. The question is, what is it that defines us? When people look at your life, what are they defining your life by? Are they looking at the things that you know? Or are they looking at the things that you do? You know, there's an expression that's out there that says people don't care how much you know until you show how much you care. Well, the point of that, 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 that phrase is that people are looking at our lives. And we may tell them what's right, but are they seeing what's right in our lives? And that's true of all of us as we live this Christian life. What are we telling people? What values? Do you know that you should be in a worship assembly? Well, yes, we know, but are you there? What are you telling people? What is defining your life? You know that maybe you should visit the sick. You know that there's maybe an opportunity to teach someone the Gospel. Yes, I know that, and I know I should, but am I doing it? You see, there's that battle that goes on. If, yeah, well, if, I, if I'm going to teach someone the Gospel, then that's going to take oh, some, some time here and there. And I may have to drive, and I may have to... Oh, and all that's going to add up. And so we say, well, let somebody else do it. There's the battle. Again, it happens every day in some areas of our life. Maybe somebody calls and they want a gospel. What do you want to do? You know. Should I be listening to it? No, I shouldn't be listening to this. I should say something, but I'm not going to. Virtue is not listening, and virtue is stopping it. See, it goes on every day. There's that conflict. And it's not that we have to sin. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There's a battle going on. And there's a struggle that we face every day of our lives. That we have to do what is right. We are living by that higher standard. And there may be days that we give in to the temptation and go ahead and do something that we should not do. Well, it's not because we had to do it. Because with every temptation, we know that God provides a way of escape. James chapter 1, verses 13-15, through 15, it says, "...let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death." 
There we see the progression that takes place. The thought comes into our mind. Do we cast out the thought? Do we get rid of the thought? Or do we start to entertain it? And then we start to give into it. And it brings forth sin in our lives. Because we failed to live by that higher standard. We failed to do what we know is right. We got the right values, but we don't have the virtue that goes with it. That's how sin progresses. It's something that we want. It's something that we desire. We can overcome it or we can give in to it. You see, virtue is not what we what <clears throat> virtue is not what we happen to do once in a while. It's not something that we do here and there. Virtue is consistent. Virtue is consistent with our friends and those we don't consider our friends. We're going to do the same thing over here and we're going to do the same thing over here. Why? Because we have that value. We're not showing favoritism because, oh, I like these people, so I can, I can give in and we can gossip and we can do whatever we want. No, we can't. We have to overcome it. And it's the habits that we make in our lives to overcome those things. And so it's the course of action that we take that makes it a habit. It's our disposition. What we do without much thought. We're already predetermined what we're going to do in our minds because we have that value. But it's not any action. Virtue is only those habitual habits that are good actions. Virtue is the quality of doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong. So, the question is, how do we develop virtue? Well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. I find it very interesting that right there we see right in the very foundation, we, we study God's Word, we have faith, we become a Christian. What's the first thing that says add? Virtue. What have you done? You had faith. That faith moved you, to, first of all, to repent and to confess and be buried with our Lord in baptism. Now that faith is going to move you to add that virtue of doing the right thing. You've heard what is right, and now you're going to continue to do what's right. It doesn't stop that once you come out of that watery grave of baptism, that guess what? I can do whatever I want now. I'm in a safe condition. No. It gets back to what Jesus said. You teach, you baptize, and then you teach some more. And as we grow as a Christian, guess what? Our virtue grows also because we understand the true values, all the values, more of the values that God has as a standard for your life and mine. And we want the virtue to do those things. And that's why it's important that we add to our faith virtue, first of all, and knowledge. Because as we grow, guess what? We're gaining knowledge from God's Word. We're learning more about what He wants us to do in our lives and we apply it to our lives. We put it into action. And then we add to our knowledge, temperance and patience and godliness or godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. Love. 
We had all of those things to our lives. And that's what Peter's telling us. Virtue is the foundation of our character. Someone has said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. How true that is. Sow a thought. It all starts with a thought. And I think that that's important for us to realize. It starts with a thought in our minds. And it's very important that we understand that. It begins with our thoughts. You see, habitual action, right action, is virtue. Knowing the standard, putting it into action in our lives. And so it begins with a thought. So what do we do? How do we develop this virtue? Well, look at what Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Why is He telling us to put those things in our mind? Why is He telling us to think on the things that are true and honest and just and all of those things that are mentioned? i got them highlighted on the screen. Obviously, in your Bibles, it's not that colorful. It's in black and white. But we need to understand that when we put those kind of thoughts in our mind, there's not room for the evil thoughts or the bad thoughts or whatever you want to call them. We're thinking on good things. You see how smart God is? He knows that when you take something evil out of your mind, that you better put something in it that's going to fill it that's righteous, that's good. Because if you don't, there's going to be a vacuum and all that stuff's going to get sucked right back in. You don't want that to happen. And so you think on those things. You think on the things that are good and honest and just and pure and lovely and of a good report. Think on these things. Think on the good things. We live in a world, again, where it's very easy to become negative and look at all the terrible things that are happening. A lot of things that we don't like happening, things that are taking place that we're not happy about. There are some things that do make us happy. But it's very easy to become negative. And God says, put these thoughts in your mind. Think on the good things. Think of all the spiritual things that God has blessed us with. But we also need to realize that bad actions, <clears throat> that is sin, uh, begins with thought. Look at what it says in, in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 20. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, uh, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and defile the man. What's he saying? What's Jesus saying? Sin begins up here. Begins in our heart. We think about it. And that's really the progression that we see in James. It begins with a thought. Are I going to do what's right? Or am I going to do what's wrong? Well, I know the value. I know what I'm supposed to do. And as James says, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him is a sin. That applies in our everyday life. Do we know what's right? 
Do we know we should or shouldn't do this? It begins with a thought. But think about also good action, which is virtue, begins with a thought as well. I'm going to do what's right. How many of us are looking at our lives right now? And we know, without any doubt, unless we drop dead, that we're going to be here tonight. Is that a foregone conclusion? I mean, unless something you know, out of your hands takes place. Or you're dead, obviously you won't be here. Or you're seriously sick, you won't be here. But how many of us are going to allow something else to get in the way of being here? How many of us already have it determined that we'll be here Wednesday night? Next Sunday morning for Bible class. Think about it. Already determine what you're going to say if somebody calls and wants to gossip. Not, oh yeah, what? We ought to be saying we don't want to hear that. And you shouldn't be talking that way. It doesn't just happen. Good things don't just happen. When we do what's right, it's that battle going on. It's a choice that we make. And that's a choice that Paul had to make every day. It's a choice that you and I have to make every day. It requires a change that puts good knowledge into action. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. It says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statues, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. What's he saying here? That he's going to put a new spirit, a new heart in these individuals. Isn't that what happens when we obey the Gospel? When we come up out of the water, doesn't the Scripture say that we're a new creature? What does that mean that we get a new start? And changes should take place in our lives. We should, when that old man of sin died, we got rid of him. Do we want to continue to do those things? As Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And so when we become a Christian, our life should reflect that. Our priorities should reflect that. Because we live by a higher value than man could come up with all alone. Jesus calls us by his virtue, as it tells us in Second Peter chapter one, verses two through four, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. 
And how do we have that? Through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. He's given us what we need to live by the standard that He expects. It's not something that you know. You pick the standard. You do what you want. And I'll do what I want, and we'll we'll all get there. That standard is given us to are given to us in God's Word, and it's up to you and I as to whether or not we want to follow it. So what we see in Jesus should make us want to be like Him. How many of us want to be like Jesus? Or are we sometimes like the apostles, you know, when Jesus was taken away and they all fled? Or some followed afar off? Don't want to get too close. He might really rub off on us. Do we really want to get close to Jesus? Do we really want to be like Jesus? We have to put our knowledge of what is right into action in our lives. Jesus is our ultimate example of putting right knowledge into right action. He came into this world and He came about doing His Father's business and that's exactly what He did while He was here on this earth. Our purpose as Christians to be on this earth is to be about our Father's business and that is living according to God's will. And from there, we can see that when we follow Christ, we can encourage others to follow us as we follow Christ. You know, how many of us, when we really look at our lives, would be brave enough to say, follow me? Because if you follow me, you're going to get to heaven. Because you're going to, be, you're going to see Christ in my life. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 12. It says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Follow me. That was Paul. But he clarified it was as he followed Christ. Are you following Christ to the point where if people followed you, you would make it, they would make it to heaven? The idea of virtue is that the standard of living we are striving for is far above us. Often virtue is defined as moral excellence. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 through 16, we see the effective uh, we see we see the effective working toward being like Christ. That's what we're striving for. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 says, But speak the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual workings in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God's standard is far above our standard far above than any politician could ever come up with, far above any government could ever implement, God's standard is the standard that everyone should be striving for. You see, virtue is not moral mediocrity. 
It's good enough is not good enough. We have to strive every day to be better. And when we strive for better, then we will be productive. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Notice the emphasis on doing. Well, that word's not in that verse, but when he says abounding, what does that mean? That it's overflowing in your life. It's something that you're doing. And then when we drop down to verses 10 and 11, it says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an inheritance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You follow that standard. You follow what God tells us to do. And if you do these things, think about that. If you do these things, ye shall never fall. We fall because we are not doing what we should. But if we did what we're supposed to do, which we're all striving for, and we grow and hopefully mature, then we can get to the point where we can have that confidence knowing that God has is promised us that home in heaven and is faithful to His promises and we can obtain because we have overcome the world. You see, doing the minimum necessary is not virtue. Reaching this level that we're talking about this morning requires breaking ties with the bad things in our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter verse 33, we see that associating with evil will corrupt good habits. We know that that happens. We can see it happen. We see it happen to people, and sometimes it may happen to us as an individual. We may see it in our own lives. And there are times that we have to separate ourselves from those individuals. Why? Because living by God's standard requires action. So how, do, how is virtue demonstrated in a person's life? How is it demonstrated in your life and my life? Well, in the Hebrew, there's a Hebrew word for virtue which literally means strength and it's translated uh, virtuous, valiant, uh, and strong. So talking about a person being strong. In the Greek, uh, the word is translated as manliness, valor, excellence, or for pra- uh, praise. And so doing the right thing, we need to understand doing the right thing takes strength and courage. You know, sometimes when we're confronted with a situation and we know what we're supposed to do, we get kind of nervous. We get uncomfortable. Maybe we start sweating a little bit because we know what we should do. But if we do it, if we say it, if we do what we're supposed to do, they might not like me. They might get upset with me. Now, I'll say we need to be uh, kind and, and meek and all of those things, but guess what? I have found you can be kind and meek, and guess what? People still get upset with you. Why? Because some people don't like the truth. And you can say it as kindly as you could. You could have Jesus standing here telling them, and guess what? Just like with Him being alive and telling people what they needed to hear, they didn't always appreciate what He had to say either. 
And guess what? They got so angry with him, they killed him. And we can find examples of, of Stephen, Paul, Stone, different ones because they didn't want to hear, people didn't want to hear the truth. And so it takes strength and it takes courage to stand up and say and do what needs to be said and done. You can't go at it half-heartedly. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, give, or serving the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong, that all your things be done with charity. Again, it takes strength, it takes courage to do what's right. And as in always, just outside of these walls, with the world, sometimes when the world creeps into the church, we have to be strong and courageous with our brothers and sisters also. Christianity in the Bible, many in some situations, is described in military terms. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7 is an example of that. And the military knows that you can't have a half-hearted soldier. And neither can the Lord. I mean, I think all of us realize that if our military goes into battle, we don't want them to go in half-hearted. We want them to go in thinking they're going to win. That's the plan. That's the idea. Well, brother, we can't be half-hearted when it comes to living a Christian life. As the song says, you know, that we sang this week, I'm in the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, or shoot the artillery, but I am in the Lord's army. You see, it's not a physical where we go out with swords and guns and all those things that fight. It's a, a spiritual battle. It's the Lord's army. But we also realize that in that army, we have to be determined. We have to be confident. We have to be strong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that he may be able, or that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Brethren, it's not a physical battle. Although that confrontation that you have with someone when you're trying to do what's right and they're trying to get you to do something that's wrong, it may seem physical and it may turn into something physical. That battle is spiritual. And we need to understand that we're in a spiritual warfare. We, we need to be strong. Why? Because we're at war. We're at war with the world. And the world wants to take, it, take us down. They want to destroy God, His Word, His church, His people. And we have to stand strong. We all have to be determined to live by that standard that He's given us, not the standard that I decide it's going to be. We don't want to be like Israel where we're all doing what's right in our own eyes. We're going to do what I want and you can do what you want and it's all going to be okay. No. It's God's standard. And so our goal as Christians is to master Christianity. In other words, to be what a Christian should be. 
We too must master Christianity. We can't be satisfied being an entry-level Christian all of our Christian life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby... If so, be ye, if so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That passage of Scripture is telling us that as newborn babes, we're to desire the sincere milk of His Word. There's a few babies here in this audience today that are drinking milk. And that's pretty much all they drink. But how many of us as adults would like to go home this afternoon and just, just have a glass of milk? And then when you sit down at the dinner table, just have another glass of milk. And when you get up in the morning, just have a glass of milk. And you repeat that and repeat that and repeat that and repeat that. I think that we would all get sick eventually. Because we know that as human beings, when we grow, our desires for different food also grows. And the same is true with God's Word. When we become a Christian, we come into that Christian life, we desire the sincere milk of the Word, the the things that help us to grow and to develop. But there comes a point where we want to have the meat. The meat of God's Word. Why? So that we can mature. And somebody that just drank milk all of their life, we would say there's something not right. And isn't the same thing true about us? Because listen to what the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 beginning, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use has their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Hebrew writer here is telling us that there's a point. Guess what? You're not supposed to be a babe anymore. You should be able to tell someone what they needed to do or what they need to do in order to be a Christian. Why? Because if you're a Christian, you've done it. And you should know what you've done. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, through But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look what we have because we're a Christian. Look at what God has blessed us with, what He has shown to us, His mercy, His grace, His love and kindness. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. The question is, are we showing forth His praises who's called us out of darkness? You see, our duty as God's people is to proclaim God's praises 
That is the word for virtue. We're here to proclaim God's virtue, His mighty deeds of righteousness. He called us out of darkness into light, that marvelous light. And when we're living that virtuous life, we're actually praising God. And people see that. And hopefully His name is glorified. You see, we had nothing when we, before we became a Christian. But now we have everything. The question is, are you still in darkness? Are you virtuous? You see, isn't it about time you do something about it if you're not? Make those changes in your life. If you need to respond this morning to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while together we stand and sing.